BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up! This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. Apostles. It is week 12 in the Conference of Champions. And maybe we actually might get to name a champion for the first time in a long time. Uh, the... Coaching carousel in the Pac-12, there are seats open. There may be more. This could be historic. We also know that there is some East Coast bias. Uh, We're going to give you our Pac-12 power rankings, the Week 12 preview, and of course, we are joined by Mr. John Wilner, the man who writes the Bible for the Pac-12, which is the Pac-12 hotline newsletter over at the Bay Area News Group, syndicated all over the place. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amson, and he is John Wilner. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans four-pack 12 fans where you're going to get the truth, you're going to get the heat, and we're going to keep it 100. Guys, welcome to this week. Roaring applause. (laughs) (laughs) We forgot to put that sound effect in there, so I'm just making a note. All right, perfect. Um, So, John and Ralph, what were your takeaways from week 11 in the Pac-12? Early leads are not safe. How about you? When was that? Was that two days ago (laughs) or whatever? (laughs) Three days ago? Uh, How many coaches were fired since then? Uh, Gosh, it's it's been, uh, you know, even more stuff off the field than there has been on the field. It's been bananas. Uh, You know, you got to score. That's uh, certainly we've seen that. It's uh, the game is about is about offense. You can't. You can't be bad on defense, but you got you got to be able to score, right? And that's uh, I think that's what separates a lot of these teams: the ones that have the firepower and the ones that don't. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, and there's a total haves and have-nots on the offensive end in the Pac-12. Uh, but I, I think that let's start with the off the field stuff. And the most notable thing is the fact that one of the Pac-12 games wasn't played this week, and that was USC at Cal. 
And John, you've been covering this super closely. So in the beginning of the year, they said that there would be no games that would be rescheduled. But I figured that that would be up for negotiation if everybody was pretty much vaccinated. So how did Cal and USC end up in a postponement? Well, they ended up with the, the postponement because Cal had too many guys that were uh, put in isolation. They couldn't feel the team because of uh, positive tests. Uh, the, the details are still a little bit sketchy on that. Uh, but the bottom line is that a, a team that is 99% vaccinated didn't have enough players to play. The reason that the game was rescheduled and not given Cal forfeit, it, there's two layers to it. The first layer is that USC agreed to play, right? I mean, we got to give USC credit. They didn't have to play. They could have ta- pushed for a forfeit, uh, but they wanted to play. They thought the, the player, it was the right thing for the player. So all, all props to USC for making that work. And the other piece is that the, the policy that the conference announced in August gave the commissioner discretion under certain circumstances to you know play games that are postpone games and play them rather than declare forfeitures and the entire purpose of that was to motivate the teams to get vaccinated cal's got like one guy with two players it's a 110 man team they're 99 vaccinated there's two players who aren't vaccinated cal did everything they were supposed to do it's a it's a bizarre situation just medically but uh, they satisfied the conference in terms of getting vaccinated. And so that kind of created the window for them to be able to to play a rescheduled game and not have to forfeit. So was that a so was because I was reading about the the regulations with the city of Berkeley. We saw stuff that that Garbers posted him saying that they shouldn't have been tested anyway. But then there were positive tests. I know that you said a lot of the details are still muddy, but. Is this a would they have been eligible to play had they have been in a different county? Like like had they been in Arizona or Washington or Oregon? I believe so. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 policy uh, has a list of recommendations, but ultimately these decisions, like they were last year, are left up to the local health authorities working with the universities. And you know, at, at Cal, they chose to test. You know. The entire team. They had uh, some positives and they chose to test the entire team, even though they were all vaccinated. And, uh, you know, I just I I am skeptical that the the end result would have been the same in other places as it was for Cal. So now, how do you think that this ultimately and you, Ralph, like impacts Justin Wilcox because I know Justin because I played with him when he was a senior when I was a freshman at Oregon so I have a good idea of his temperament I know his dad pretty well I he seems like a guy that because of the last two years and then the money situation at Cal that this feels like a a situation where they need to mutually part ways well you it's so uh, interesting that it ends up in this situation because when they hired Justin Wilcox, it was like, all right, we found the perfect guy to deal with all the extra bullshit that goes on at Cal. And now it's like, ah, he's had enough of the bullshit at Cal. And so, I mean, is this just going to be something that happens with every coach they run through there? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, he had experience at Cal under Jeff Tedford, so he knew a little bit about what he was getting into. But the COVID stuff has been next level, right? And, right, right, right. And you know, they played their entire season last year, all four games or whatever, and basically they didn't have an offensive line, defensive line. Um, you know, I, I, Cal doesn't want him to leave, I don't think, but uh, he, may, he may want to at, the, at this point. You know, it, it's just so difficult to win there. And, you know, if he has the opportunity to go someplace where there are fewer obstacles internally to winning – uh, I think he, he he would think about it. If you if you think about what where his program was before COVID, they finished the 2019 season with three straight wins. They came from behind to beat Stanford for the first time in forever. Uh, they won their bowl game, and then they're rolling in recruiting. They're putting together the, one of their best recruiting classes in forever, and COVID hits. And right. I don't feel like that program has re- been able to kind of get its traction since that point. Um, and I... I I'm sure he's very, very frustrated. And I think if the right offer comes along, he's going to think hard about it. 
okay, so you have you tweeted out that you thought that he would be named the next head coach at the University of Washington. And that was even prior to Jimmy Lake being being fired. So I, obviously, you know, me and me and Ralph get some inside information on some things. But you've been covering this conference for, you know, a very, very long time, have great relationships inside of it. And you said that you were, you know, extremely positive that Jimmy Lake was going to be gone. So, like. I don't think that you tweet things. Well, I know that you don't tweet things hap- haphazardly or without some sort of inkling that stuff is happening. So from a guy from what you do, when did you know for sure that Jimmy Lake was 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 gone? And is there anything that leads you to believe that Justin could be the next head coach at Washington? Uh, I'm trying to think just through the I'm early last week. Uh, I, you know, it was, it was clear to me that that tweet you're talking about was after what day, I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday was the day the Cal, the, the news broke that Cal wasn't going to be able to play. Yeah. And I tweeted that in my opinion, Jimmy Lake would had coached his last game and mm-hmm. Justin Wilcox would be named Washington's coach within a, a month. I knew at that point that Lake was gone. Uh, it was probably within a 24 hours before that, that, that I had figured out that, that that was it for him. I think that they're going to take a, a long, hard look at Wilcox. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people that are part of that decision-making process that think very highly of him, including Chris Peterson uh, and, and the athletic director, Jen Cohen, and some other folks up there. Can they sell it? You know, he, the, he doesn't have the record at Cal to just to make it an easy hire publicly, right? The Cal doesn't have the offense to make it an easier hire, hire publicly. So it's kind of one of those deals where you just kind of, if you're going to hire him, you got to trust that he's a really good coach and he's going to have a plan for offense. I don't know if the Huskies are in position to, to, to do that. They may feel like they've got to satisfy the public, but what they really need to do is hire the right coach. I feel like we're also um, at a huge deficit for qualified candidates nationwide. And so the the more Pac-12 spots that open up, the more competition there are going to be for guys like, you know, Jonathan Smith, if he wanted to capitalize on what they've accomplished this season, or Justin Wilcox, if, if, if he thought that more resources would allow for him to maximize his potential as a coach, um, and then obviously, you know, USC needs to completely reclaim its identity. Uh, it, 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 striking out is bad <laughs> anytime when it comes to uh, hiring a college coach, but there are not a lot of pitches to hit. And so that, that's the thing that I'm most concerned about right now in the Pac 12. Yeah. And I, that, that makes a lot of sense, Ralph, is big because, all right. There, there comes a point when there is so much demand that your that your supply of what people that doesn't mean I don't think that there's a shortage of good coaches, guys who would be good hires. I just think that there are a shortage of coaches that are going to check the boxes that some of these schools want. Like they all say, "Oh, I want an established head coach that's been winning," and this, like. The majority of those are in good situations and aren't necessarily just apt to pick up and leave. So, so like, what's the what's where's the Pac-12 at in terms of the supply of coaches, and then where do they turn to in terms of assistance or whatever if they don't if they can't you know get the big name that everybody wants. Well, John talked about how, you know, the we have so many issues just on offense in this conference right now, which I'm at the point where I'm just dreading the Sun Bowl because every ACC team seems to have no problem scoring. And so whoever runs <laughs> up against the ACC opponent in El Paso might get run off the field in the first quarter. So, I, you know, I'm going through candidates today of just who, who is running the best offenses in college football. And then I run across uh, a, a school 
uh, out in out in middle America who's just churning out yards and seem to be doing things uh, uh, really, really innovatively as far as on the offensive side of the football. And I'm like, man, maybe this is the solution for a school like USC. And I pull up the head coach and it's Clay Helton's brother, Tyson Helton at Western Kentucky. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you, you, you do want to have people who are regionally connected. Uh, Washington is going to want to want the pendulum to swing as far as somebody who actually has a network that they can hire from, which is maybe why someone like Justin Wilcox makes sense, but it's just, it, it it's going to be, it's going to be tough because you, you have schools firing their coaches in the middle of the season so that they can get closer to the front of the line on figuring out who the best candidates are. There's only a few of them. There's only a, a few people out there that are going to be in really, really high demand. So you're just going to kind of have to, if, if you're not one of those major, major schools of Virginia Tech, uh, a Washington, a USC, um, Florida, potentially, you know, if, if you're not one of those schools, then then you're just going to have to hope that you find the right fit and the right person for the job. Yeah. And it may also, you know, at least in the Pac-12, that that supply could impact the decision. I mean, UCLA, <clears throat> right? What if they are seven and five? Right now they're uh, what six and four? Yeah. <clears throat> what if they're six, seven and five? Do they make a change? If they're eight and four, maybe it's pretty obvious you bring Chip back. That's pretty good progress. Yeah. Six and six, you maybe you don't have a choice. But if they're seven and five. And they look around and they're like, ah, this isn't a great hiring cycle. Maybe they bring him back for a year. I don't know. But it's interesting how that supply demand could calculate into the decisions that, that are made, uh, whether to retain coaches or not. Yeah, um, man, th- this is getting dicey, too, because the Pac-12 in terms of there's only a few teams in the Pac-12 that are going to be willing to pony up the type of money that that it's going to take. But uh, there's one coach in the conference who has been underachieving the last few years, who is well thought of in coaching circles. And me and John have talked about this privately, but the uh, but David Shaw at Stanford, they look awful right now. I mean, they look only team in the conference (laughs) under 100 yards rushing per game. Yeah. And. And he's the highest paid. He's one of the five highest paid coaches in the country. But this is Stanford and he has a ton of goodwill built up there. How long is the goodwill rope in Palo Alto? I think it's pretty long. I think it's pretty. I think he's going to leave. He'll he'll be out when he decides he's out, I think, you know, and, and to be fair to him. They were four and two last year, and you could argue that if the league hadn't screwed up uh, testing uh, on Davis Mills, that they would have won the division. Now they did. Uh, they were four and eight in twenty nineteen. So the last two full non COVID seasons, they have really struggled. There's no doubt, but it hasn't been just a continuous downward spiral because they did. They were good last year um, when it's, they were, and they were displaced. Though. The it's defense the is de- bad. They, they can't stop the run and they can't run the ball. They've lost their entire, uh, you know, th- their dominance at the line of scrimmage is gone. They're like an air raid team, except they're not an air raid team. Yeah, it's bad. Every NCAA trend seems to affect Stanford more so than any other Pac-12 team. The December 7th signing day, bad for Stanford. Uh, the transfer portal, bad for Stanford. Grad transfer, bad for Stanford coaching uh, your assistant coaching pool, um, you know, being an issue that's been bad for the whole pack 12, obviously with, you know, Mel Tucker and, and, and everything, but like that, you're, you're in competition with everybody for good assistance. And if they don't see that Stanford is going somewhere, they're going to do something, you know, positive. They're not going to want to go coach under David Shaw. And then you have the, the issue of just the, the buy-in of, you know, of course they have a huge endowment, but the buy-in of alumni fans not showing up to the games. I don't know. You know, what is is David Shaw going to go out there and give a professorial soliloquy to convince, you know, attendance to go up 10, 20 percent? I don't I, like that. I don't think that's say the that, case. Say that again. Professorial soliloquy. I like that. I like that. <laughs> that is it replaced intellectual brutality. <laughs> All right. Um, now we can get into last week's games and the turnout and all the pomp and circumstance surrounding those. Um, let's go to Colorado 
at UCLA. This was a game that at halftime, I was sitting at home like, whoa, Colorado was up 20 to 10. And then uh, I don't know what Chip Kelly did at halftime, but they rattled off 34 unanswered points. And this was a dominant victory. What what were you guys thinking when you watched that game and it was halftime and it was 20 to 10? Because I was like, uh-oh, Chip might be on the way out. Uh, you you, uh, you can go, John. I, I, watched, uh, I watched the game um, at halftime is kind of what made me tune in. And I was like, all right, let's see what Colorado's got. And what they got was, uh, what, like 37 straight scored on them? 30, yeah, 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 37 straight. Because they got the field goal right before halftime. Yeah, and I, I think it, it was encouraging to see – Colorado move the ball, but at the same time, there there are certainly issues of depth. This team needs to learn to win. They need to learn to put together a full game. Um, and I mean, Zach Sherman, a, uh, they must have greased him up at halftime. Honestly, they must have just dipped him in lard, rolled him out on the field because they, no, nobody could. He had three rushing touchdowns in in the second half alone. You know, UCLA, George. I'm curious what you think. But they look good. I mean, UCLA, you get the, those guys in uniform, right? They're big and they're fast. Yes. And they look more like an SEC team than maybe anybody else in the conference, especially on defense. Uh, they certainly looked as good as LSU did at the line of scrimmage, right? Uh, yep. And yet, God, they just have got – their defense especially just as underperforms. And I think that that's going to be the difference in whether Chip Kelly sticks or doesn't at UCLA is the Jerry Azenaro hire. If I were him, I would be on the phone with Jimmy Lake the day after he got fired. Like, hey, yo, Jimmy, hey, come on. Come come down here and run this defense in, in, in L.A. And I think that Jimmy, that, that wouldn't pull at his heartstrings, at his UW heartstrings. He would get a chance to get a little bit of revenge. And he seems like a guy who's built for L.A. You know, his, his the way he carries himself, all of that. But this UCLA team, though, this is a perplexing team because Kyle Phillips is a really good weapon. Greg Dolchich is good. But the rest of their weapons on the outside in the wide receiver area don't look that great. Their running backs are really good. They look like, like John said, they look the part. But something is not quite connecting particularly on the defensive side and i'm i just at this point i have to blame scheme i mean what would you think of the what would you think of the idea of of chip kelly of them ponying up and going out and getting some of these people who are probably going to be cast off i don't think dante williams wants to leave southern california if you, if you could sell Ooh, the idea of let like re- recruit at ucla let let dante williams recruit let jimmy lake coach those dbs Move, move Azanaro back to D line like he coached with Chip Kelly in the NFL. Put together a serious defensive staff and and see if you can take over the Pac twelve South while everybody else is down and out. Besides, you to answer, John. Interesting thought, that's for sure. All right, uh, the next game up, we have. Oh wait, but before we go, Colorado had a good first half. Are are they better, or are they not? Because they beat Oregon State last week, so so are they better or or no? Better than they were? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. They're they they were extreme. I mean, a true not a true a, a redshirt freshman quarterback. Uh, they're very young and inexperienced at at receiver. Um, you know, they the offensive line obviously is not enough to o- open up the same holes that they were opening up for Fontenot and Brossard last year, but they're starting to figure it out. I think that it's encouraging. Is it enough to keep everybody in place to give it a go next year? Maybe not, but they're definitely better than they were. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, 
sports, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Okay. Um, next game up, Utah at Arizona. This was the most surprising result of the weekend. You had Utah at 38. Uh, well, sorry, U- Utah 38, Arizona 29. They were 24-point favorites. I, I, I thought this was a layup, dude. And Arizona was in this football game. How did... John, what what was your takeaway from this Utah Arizona game? You know, after I watched the first five minutes, I was kicking myself for thinking Utah was going to blow them out because <laughs> you know it just I just th- should have thought about the fact that Utah uh, was going to be you know one eye ahead to Oregon, not not playing with a sense of urgency necessarily because they think they're going to pound Arizona, and I'm like oh, I was kicking myself. I thought the same thing. So is is Arizona better? Like like has Jed Fish after that win against Cal, even though it was a depleted Cal roster, this still did look like a team that was like, no, we want to win. We're trying to win, and like that. Obviously, they're short on. They ran out of talent, but this felt like a different energy from Arizona. They look better to me. They looked energized. They can run the ball a little bit. Uh, Defensively is, I think, the thing that surprised me the most. They made a huge play on special teams at the end of the game. Had they been able to hit on the two-point conversion, uh, it would have been 31-31. I'm not sure it would have mattered because you can't get in an arm wrestling match with Utah and think that you're going to outlast them. You're not. 15 plays, 75 yards, 8 minutes and 24 seconds on that final touchdown. That was Utah at its absolute best when they needed to be at their absolute best. That drive was as scary from any Pac-12 team I've seen all year. That that drive was as scary as anything that I've seen. Um, and there was just nothing that Arizona could do about it. So, yeah, Arizona looked better. But when it came down to it, Utah was able to be themselves. And that that might be the most impressed I've been with anybody all year. Is to, they just showed off their identity and who they were. And I'm going to be honest, George, if I'm Oregon, I'm looking at that drive in particular, and I'm thinking to myself, like, we had to be ready, ready. Yeah, and Utah has a couple injuries on their offensive line. So I think that it's going to make the – the next two games, um, pr- presumably against Oregon, very interesting because because I think that Oregon has the distinct advantage in the first game, even though they are Utah is favored because Utah is beat up on the offensive line, and Oregon tends to play better when their back is against the wall or people doubt them. 
so it, it'll be interesting to see about the second game than than this first game. But but the question, John, I wanted to ask is so let's say that Oregon wins out. They finish win the conference 12 and 1, get into the college football playoff. What does that mean for five loss Utah? Because like what's the Rose Bowl selection process? Because they usually always take the runner up from the pack. Well, not usually. They always take the runner up from the Pac-12 uh, championship game. But what are the other scenarios where Utah could miss it because they are a five loss team? Well, they're supposed to take the general rule is that they would take the next highest ranked team from the Pac-12. <clears throat> and there but, wouldn't be one at that point. But there wouldn't be one. It is possible that ASU at nine and three could be ranked, even though they would be second in the division oh. ahead of Utah at nine and five <laughs> or eight and five. Now, oh, Utah however, hate this. however, there is discretion available that they, and they take other things into account. They're not completely bound by the rankings. <clears throat> and I have to think that with Utah having won the head-to-head and won the division, and the reason they've got a one extra loss is because they had an extra game against Oregon, that they would take Utah. Uh, I would be really surprised. And the conference office has a role. They, they will advise uh, with the, Rose, the Tournament of Roses and I've got to think that they would take Utah. And plus, hey, why do they want to take ASU? Who knows who's going to be coaching them, whether they're going to be under sanctions at that point. I mean, I would be shocked if, if Utah, even with five losses, was passed over in favor of ASU uh, just for a variety of reasons. You think George Klievkov could call the Rose Bowl Selection Committee and say, hey, uh, we're going to turn down our invite and we want you to invite University of Louisiana at Lafayette uh, <laughs> under the condition that Billy Napier picks one of our schools <laughs> to be his next coaching destination. <laughs> I think that'd be a nice exchange. Well, I mean, the thing is that look, the given the situation with the playoff and the Rose Bowl wanting to be part of the playoff and the Pac-12 going to bat for the Rose Bowl, they're not in a position where they want to get on the wrong side of the conference, right? That there's a there's a political backdrop to all this with the with the expansion of the playoff. So my guess is the conference office says, "Look, you guys need to take Utah. It's the right thing to do on a number of reasons. I don't care that they're not ranked and ASU's ranked twenty fourth. You got to take Utah. It's the fair thing to do. That they would they would end up taking Utah. All right, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and now on to the next game, we have, uh, Stanford at Oregon state. This game was an absolute bloodbath that it it did not look like Stanford belonged on the field with Oregon state. Like the, the Oregon state defense looked like the 85 bears. And I mean, it was bad, dude. It it, at at halftime. It was only 14-0, but but it felt like they were down by 30,000 points. Like like there wasn't a scenario where the defense didn't have pick sixes or fumble sixes that they were going to be able to win. Like what I guess what's your take on Oregon State because there's nothing to say about Stanford right now really. What are we supposed to put together a few paragraphs on Ari Patu going seven for 14 for 51 yards? <laughs> or should we focus on Austin Jones and Nathaniel Pete combining for 71 yards rushing? Because I don't have anything on either. <laughs> well, what do you what what do you take away from Oregon State from the, from this game? Just that they are very good in Corvallis and Arizona State should be worried about about that. They they seem to be two completely different teams. Um, I listened I listened to uh, Andrew Hobner talk about uh, the difference between the the Beavers on the road and at home. And um, he, he thinks it's just a matter of 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 just comfort 
in in front of those fans that they just they still haven't figured out how to win on the road yet but that who they are at home is really at at, at its core um who they are that the stuff that they do just just works a little bit better obviously they made a change at um at, at defensive coordinator but i'm not sure that that impacted a game against stanford uh and so you know, I, I, I'm always impressed when I watch Oregon state and they're playing in Corvallis and, and this was no, this was no exception. Chance Nolan had six incompletions. The, the team as a whole, I mean, everybody was running the ball. Champ Fleming's had three catches, your favorite guy, George, five foot five champ Fleming's. Um, and then of course, you know, they're still trotting uh backup quarterback, Jack Coletto out there who, who feels like he scores a touchdown every time he touches the ball. Um, and so I don't know. I just I, I think they're an incredibly dangerous team if they are playing at one stadium in particular. John, yeah, I don't know that you can take anything much, if anything, about Oregon State just because Stanford was did not pose any resistance. Uh, you know, and look, Stanford was, but he was what their fourth. He I think he's their fourth string quarterback. So, you know. They should be able to run the ball better. There's no doubt about that. But at a certain point, you get down that QB depth chart, and it's like, you, you know, you just can't expect much, right? You can't expect much. Now, is it on them for not having a good backup quarter, a number two? Like, because Jack Weston any good? Yeah, I think it is on them for that. But, uh, you know, what are you going to expect if they're playing a kid who – a freshman who was in high school in the spring – and had played like one quarter of one game and is a four stringer. Yeah, it's just tough. Yeah. Speaking of uh speaking of Oregon State, um, somebody in the Arizona Cardinals press scrum today asked the uh Arizona Cardinals offensive line coach Sean Harlow what he thinks of Oregon State this year, since that's his alma mater, and he said, I don't have the Pac twelve network. <laughs> so there you go. That's how things are going. <laughs> that is so depressing. That is that that's the biggest crime is that you have good teams and they can't be seen. All right. Uh, Arizona State at Washington. This was a game that Arizona State looked awful uh, in the first half. They were down 17 to seven. And Washington, they came out rolling, boy, with Junior Adams calling plays, Bob Gregory under the headset. People at halftime, Washington fans, Softy and all the rest of them were like, yes, this is all we needed was to unleash, take off the chains. And then the wheels fell off in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was it was a disaster. And it just felt like more of what Washington does um, they got a late cheap touchdown to pull it within five, but yeah, I, I didn't like what I saw from either one of these teams and I am truly concerned about Jaden Daniels because he doesn't look like an NFL quarterback at this point. Like he looks like a guy who needs to come back to school to be a draft worthy quarterback. You it's mean Pac 12 completion percentage leader, Jaden Daniels? Yes. That I I don't even like. Imagine if he didn't lead the universe in dropped passes. I still don't think he'd be having a very good year. But we're talking about a guy who's going out there maybe completing eighty two, eighty three percent. And I you know, but something does look off. Um, I tell you what won this game though is that temperament that him and Herm Edwards share. Not too high, not too low. Never get down and out. I told you and I talked George during the game, and I said. This is just not a quarterback who is a comeback type of guy. Uh, but he didn't need to be because the running game did it all. The fact that Arizona State was even attempting to throw the ball in the third quarter had fans wanting to jump out a window. That was bananas. They should have run the ball every play. I mean, Washington can't stop the run. They can't yes. stop the run. So, uh, And that you that it's a bad combination when you can't stop the run and you don't have a good quarterback. Yes. What did you guys think of them sticking to the plan? of bringing Heward in despite the fact that they were backed up into their own end zone. Listen. And then they went back on the plan when it was his turn again because they continued to be backed up into their own well, end they, zone. Well, they, they had scored two touchdowns with Morris. At that point in time, I would have thrown the plan out the window because I don't remember the last time they scored on two straight drives. I would have kept that momentum going 
I think it bothered Dylan Morris. Uh, I, I, I just listen. It was a no-win situation. They want to get Heward in. The fans are calling for it, but he hasn't looked great when he's gotten in. So whose fault is that? So I don't know, man. Like it, it, it was an impossible situation for Bob Gregory and Junior Adams and the rest of their their staff. I probably would have. I probably would have stuck to the plan. And, and if I were going to actually, no, I would have kept Morris in. But if I were going to stick to the plan, I would have given Heward his two series and not chickened out after the first one didn't didn't go well. I just can't imagine like being if, if being uh, in a situation with 10 minutes left in that game and the ghost of uh, Christmas future appeared and said, ASU is going to blow this team out. <laughs> Like I, I, it would have been really, really hard for me to grasp that concept just based on how down and out Arizona State looked for the majority of the game, and uh, and it still it worked somehow in Seattle in the rain. And Arizona State's traditionally been pretty miserable on the road. Um, it's just that th- this game is really hard to wrap your mind around. My primary takeaway is that Rashad White should get the ball probably every time. Um, whether in the passing game or the running game, just give him the rock. And uh, and and other than that, uh, I I'm pretty sure that Dylan Morris almost died on that field trying to tackle Tyler Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he's okay because that was uh, that that was a quite a decision he made. Saved a touchdown for a moment. Hey man, you you gotta hey when when your back is against the wall, that's what you gotta do. He didn't uh, want to be a Teddy Bridgewater, right? <laughs> he wanted the, to go uh, out for his team. The uh, final game from this last week was the Washington State Oregon game. Oregon won this game thirty eight to twenty four. They looked pretty good. Um, the uh, second quarter that that fumble, non fumble, but the biggest takeaway from this game, I thought was what Canzano ended up doing, which probably helped the conference more than anything else this uh, week, was he body-bagged ESPN um, with their... with their. How, how would you describe the feed from that game? Like, what, what we saw on television? Because I thought that the feed from the Pac-12 network was better. I, uh... When... When Anthony Brown fumbled, quote unquote, at the goal line, I swear the broadcast crew was this close to saying, well, this probably isn't going to get overturned because we just don't even have the right cameras. I mean, I genuinely thought they were on the verge of just saying the quiet part out loud, (laughs) Uh, which which was the truth. They didn't have a good angle on it because they didn't like the ESPN hasn't been taking this game seriously all year long. I've seen a million people complain about it. And I still, you know, uh, I, I spent enough time in my grandparents' basement watching unsolved mysteries on a tube television that I'm not going to complain too much about the definition of any, any game that I'm watching. But this one finally got to me. This was furry, fuzzy. Looked like a, the, the TV screen was like, like velvet. The color was off. The oh yeah. It's been, the color's color been off all year. And yeah, it's like one of those that. things where it's like Game of Thrones where they're like, no, it's actually your fault that it looks so dark. You have to adjust your TV. I kept waiting for somebody to say, one small step for man. Because <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like it was beamed in from 240,000 miles away. Uh, and it's been like that. I don't know if it, every 730 ESPN game has been like that, but there have been a bunch of them. Uh, yes. There's no question about that. So we'll see if uh, what's 7.30 this week is ASU, Oregon State. So we'll see how they do there. Do you expect it to be better? Being that, being that uh, from the Canzano articles, how he said that they said that, oh, it was an accident. It was a technical error. But it, Every he got week? The truth. <laughs> exactly. He got, he got the truth, though. So, so what do you think is good? Will it be better? Will they change the equipment on the trucks for this week to uh, shut people up? Maybe. I mean, they've got the um, the Oregon Utah game is ABC, so I'm yep. sure that one will be fine. Yeah, uh, for sure. But uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Going to get the 730s Zapruder film. 
All right. Um, and b- before we finish up with this week, so I am a believer that if Oregon finishes 12 and one, they're still number three in the college football playoff, um, that they that there isn't a scenario where they went out and are 12 and one and miss because they're already at number three. Now, John, you feel otherwise. Look, I think they sh- if they're 12 and one, they should make it. And I would say I would give it a 75, 80% chance that they do make it. But, you know, let me run this scenario by you. Michigan state beats Ohio state this week. Michigan state's passing them. They're going to three, right? Yeah. Okay, so then you go into the next week, and the Ducks barely beat the Beavers. They're number four, Michigan's number – Cincinnati's five, Michigan's six. The Ducks barely beat the Beavers. Michigan goes in, beats Ohio State by two touchdowns, ten points. I don't know. Michigan might pass them. Then Oregon ends up playing unranked Utah in the championship game. And they're not they're impressive. I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how good does Oregon look, right? If both Michigan schools went out, Oregon could have a tough time. I don't think that mo- both Michigan schools will, but I, that is, to me, that's the major threat to the, to the Ducks. Michigan would have two common opponents with the Ducks, Washington and Ohio State, and that would come into play as well for that final spot. I was listening to the uh, Hard Edge podcast earlier today, which is uh, Rich Rodriguez's podcast, one of the best kept secrets out there. He's he's all himself too, <laughs> super candid, even though he's still a college offensive coordinator. And he was trying to make a uh, he was making a pretty strong case, George, for for uh, Oklahoma State passing some people as well. They they may they've got a couple of ranked opponents. There's no doubt, and there will be some if Cincinnati is undefeated. You know. It is easy. The easiest way for the committee to get a, a group of five team in is to is to screw the Pac-12, right? It's easier to do that to the Pac-12 than it would be to any other conference, just because of what the perception is, uh, what the the value is to ESPN. So if they're if they're ever going to put a team in a group of five team in at the exclusion of a Power Five champ, it would be the Pac-12. Oh, hey, get ready for that Oregon Notre Dame Fiesta Bowl, George. Nope, let's go. Nope, nope. I do not accept it. I do not accept that. That would that that would be a fight, dude. That would be an absolute fight. And I think that George Kliakoff is up for that fight. John, John, if Oregon got left out at twelve and one after already being number three, do you think that Kliakoff is has the temperament? Uh, to like not go out quietly and to make a bunch of noise in the process. Oh, I think he would make noise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I don't think it's likely, but if you're looking for scenarios, it's uh, two big 10 teams. It's Cincinnati with a political push or it is Oklahoma state, you know, blowing the doors off of the, of the Sooners. Uh, What would it be twice, you know? So yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, the Ducks have got to look good. That cannot be overstated. Oh, God, yes. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. 
Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. All right, um, now on to the Pac-12 power rankings for this week. Um, Ralph, who do you have this week? Apologies, I was on, uh, on, on mute, so you couldn't hear me snickering about your Oregon Ducks getting left out of the college football playoff. Um, my, my rankings are the exact same as last week. Not one thing changes the first time that's happened all year. Um, but, but it felt nice to have some stability, uh, 12 through seven. I've got Arizona, uh, at the bottom, Stanford, Colorado, Washington in the eight hole. I got USC and at seven, I've got Cal. All right. Uh, for me, I have, uh, Arizona at 12. I have, uh, Stanford at 11 because their team is just absolutely just the wheels have come off, uh, especially without Tanner M- McKee, Colorado at 10, USC at nine, at Washington at eight. And uh, I like Cal at seven as well. How about you, John? I've got, uh, well, I can't actually tell you right now because my internet's working, not working very well. <laughs> but it's, uh, I can't think of anything that would have changed in the bottom would you half. Put, would you put, based on the way they're playing right now, would you put Stanford under Arizona? Uh, no, I've got Stanford 11th, Colorado 10, Stanford 11, Arizona 12. I've had that for two weeks in a row now. Who would yeah. win, George? Stanford, Arizona. Oh, I, yeah. I would pick Arizona. Okay, but all okay. All right. Well, I mean, is Tanner McKee playing or not? No. That, well, then, yeah. If he's not playing, then then Arizona may win. But I think if he's playing, Stanford wins. But it'd be fun. All right. Uh, quickly, there are. Oh, now now at the top, what do you have, Ralph? Oregon State at six, UCLA at five, Arizona State at four, Washington State at three. Utah at two and Oregon at one. Um, me, I have Oregon. I'm sorry. I have Washington state at six UCLA at five. Um, Oregon state at four. Yeah. Yeah. Oregon state at four, Arizona state at three, Utah at two and Oregon at one. How about you, John? Yeah, I think that's right. right. (laughs) Uh, I think uh, that's right. Now, quickly, there are the uh, conference players of the year. We we will talk more about this uh, next week. But, uh, John, who do you think is going to be voted defensive player of the year? Because I think there's all really only two guys that are pretty much going to – that have a shot, and that's Devin Lloyd from Utah, the linebacker, and Kayvon Thibodeau from, from Oregon. I'm going to guess that Lloyd would be the pick because I, I think that the coaches may feel like he had a more consistent impact. Not, yeah. you know, they're not going on, on NFL talent, yeah. but and they ooh, vote I, against Oregon guys. Always they vote yeah. against Oregon guys. That's right. So I, I would pick Lloyd and I think you can make a good case for Lloyd too. He's been yeah. terrific. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. How about you, Ralph? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm with you guys on this. I think that if Stanford was any good, you'd probably have a third candidate because um, I, I I don't know if it's um, Kyle Blue Kelly is having 
quietly one of the best years of, of anybody in in the Pac-12, and it just doesn't matter because <laughs> it doesn't. It, it, there, there's there's so many holes in that boat that the ship's sinking either way. So yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I, I do think Devin Lloyd will end up winning it I unless give, unless they end up playing twice and 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 yeah. Thibodeau gets three sacks in each game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, the only other person who has no chance to win it, but I think has been really good, is Trent Trent McDuffie from Washington. Um, as far as offensive player of the year, who the heck can get that? I mean, because like, I mean, is Drake London still the best player in the Pac-12 on the offense this, this year? And he's been out for two games or, I mean, like who can get it? The uh, running back from Utah or, or Anthony Brown, which what's Tavion Thomas sitting out the Arizona game hurt his cause. Yeah. Uh, I think that the vote would split on the Oregon end between Anthony Brown and Travis Dye. I think Travis Dye probably get more votes than Brown. What do you think, John, for offensive player? I think if I were voting right now, I'd vote for London because he's only missed one USC game, right? They didn't play. So he's played in all but one. And to me, that would qualify you for winning. Now, by the time you get to the end of the year when he will have missed four games – it's a little bit different calculation. I don't know. You know, who's getting overlooked a bunch is, is uh, Jaden Delora. And, uh, you know, is B.J. Baylor going to get some votes? Maybe he does. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Jack Charbonnet. I, I don't know. It's it's kind of – I think it's up in the air. And that's that's okay. Like a strong class. It's not. Strong. And part of the reason is because there's no dominant quarterback. Yep. And now, how about I would give it to Travis Dye? I'm just going to throw that out there because I know it annoys hey, George. I can, I can, I can live with that. But now, <laughs> I, I think for coach of the year, is there only one option because of how many job openings there are? You can't give it to Herm. You can't give it to Chip. Can't it's give Je- it to Wilcox. It's Jed Fish. <laughs> no, I mean like like John. It's either Jonathan Smith or Cristobal. Like those are literally your only two options, right? Unless Utah beats Oregon. Uh, I would give it to Kyle Whittingham. Why? Well, I mean, when his team, I think they were picked well, third. Yeah. He, they've had to deal with the death of a player. Oh, they true. They have dominated their division. Depends on how they finish, right? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. The voting, just so people know, voting is supposed to be done after the championship game, I believe, unless they have changed the, and just they've changed the policy, you know, because of last year's chaos and all that. That should be the vote should be the day after the championship game, and then they would announce it either Monday or Tuesday morning following bowl selections. Then I think it could come down to how how of all three of those awards could come down to how that Pac-12 championship is played. Could be. Yep. All right. Now on to our picks. Finally, our picks for this week. Um, Ralph usually keeps track of these things, so um, we have Arizona. On a Friday night, which I always hate Friday night games, but Arizona at Washington State. Washington State is favored by 15 points over under 52 and a half. Where are you at, John? Uh, I think Washington State's going to clean their clocks. I just, I mean, that's a long way to go in a short week. And plus, you've got a warm weather team. It's like 40 in rain. I think it's going to be bad news. Plus, Arizona's just going to be thinking about ASU. I think that's that's a blowout. I agree. Over over or under 52 and a half? Probably over. Yep. Um, I'm going to go with the I'm going to go with the under. I think the majority of points in this game are scored by Washington State, that they'll score like 38, 40 all by themselves, and it'll be like 10 points for them. Um, actually, yeah. So, um, give me Washington state minus 20 minus 15 and the under where are you at Ralph? I'm going to, I'm going to rock with John here on, on the, uh, um, Washington state and the over, but I do think, it, I, I do think Arizona might score a couple of touchdowns. It might, they're short on quarterbacks. Uh, Plummer got banged up pretty bad. Um, the, the last couple of weeks. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do to either protect him or figure out what to do if he can't finish the game. They shouldn't even play him. They should get him ready for ASU. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because you can't go 70 to 7 again. Um, All right. Uh, UCLA at USC. UCLA is favored by three points 
over under 65 and a half and Jackson Dart is starting. Who you got, John? I've got I, I I've got UCLA. I did have to think about it when I found out Dart was starting because I think that they've yeah. got a better chance to win with him. But you look at how they've played at home and the matchup of UCLA's running game against USC's turnstile run defense. And I, I just think the Bruins, will, they're going to grind them. They'll grind All right. them. Over, under 65 and a half. Under 65 and a half. That's a, boy, that's a lot of points. Yes. Listen, I'm going to go the under because I am not as convinced that I think Jackson Dart has a lot of talent. I just think that with the way UCLA moves so much pre-snap, as a freshman quarterback, I think he's going to get confused, have a few turnovers. So give me UCLA minus three points. Where are you at, Ralph? I think that uh, they uh, Jackson Dart better be 100% because they are going to physically beat up on him at times during this game. He's got the resolve to make some big plays, whether it happens or not. But I think he's going to get I think he's going to get beat on by this UCLA defense. And uh, and so for that reason, I'm going to go UCLA in the under. All right. Uh, Washington at Colorado, Washington minus six and a half over under of a pedestrian 43. John, where are you at? I'm definitely Colorado. Uh, 43. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, it's like 43 19, points. It's like the 1950s. Um, yeah, probably, probably Colorado in the over. That feels a little light to me, a little low to me. But I, I think Colorado's playing a little bit better. I don't know about Washington's motivation. You know, if you would plays, how's he going to respond? Colorado's defense is terrible. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go buffs in the under. All right. I agree with you. I'm riding with John. Buffs and the under. No, 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 no. Over. Sorry. Did I say under? Yeah, I mean yeah. over. Buffs yeah, and yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, I know what you meant. All right. We're going to get the – I think we're going to get ourselves a 14-10 to 10 Washington win here. Oh, my God. So you're taking Colorado and the under? I am. Oh, yeah. my God. All right. Well, we will, we will, we will see if anybody can get to 20 points. I haven't um, looked at the weather, though. I got, I got to admit. It, is, it says right now 60 degrees and sunny. Oh, okay. Yeah, at Folsom Field. All right. Uh, the big game, Cal at Stanford. Cal is favored by a point and a half. Another pedestrian uh, over under at 45 and a half. Where are you at, John? You know, I think Stanford will win. Uh, I, I'm assuming McKee plays. He's supposed to play. Uh, Cal should have most of their guys. We don't. We won't know, but they should have most of their guys. Garbers is supposed to play, but I just wonder if this whole last couple of weeks has kind of derailed Cal. You know, they were playing pretty darn well before it hit, and now uh, they've got guys that have have not practiced a lot. They haven't been on the field. You know, Garbers hadn't played in three weeks. I kind of like Stanford now, uh, even though they're not very good. I just think Cal's going to have a lot of, you know, they're just the momentum issue is is big for them. How about the over under 45 and a half? 45, 45. Uh, probably over. That golly. There's bad offense in this conference. Yes. I And I'm going with the better bad, the better bad idea of going with Cal minus one and a half. And I'm going to take the. Over, I feel like they get a couple cheap touchdowns here or there. Garbers probably is excited to play pretty well. And Stanford's team is just, they they can't do anything. So I'm going to go with Cal and the uh, over. How about you, Ralph? Uh, I think this this might be the, um, I, anybody that comes back from COVID struggles, whether they're symptomatic or not. Uh, that, that's something that we've noticed across sports. So I'm going to roll with uh, Stanford 27-20. Okay, we got two so games left. Uh, Arizona State at Oregon State. Arizona State minus three, over under 59. Where you at, John? Over, and I like ASU. I think it's a matchup issue for uh, for Oregon State's defense. Uh, ASU put 45, 46 on them last year in Corvallis. Uh, I think it's going to be back and forth, but I like ASU. I'm going to roll with the Beavers because that game is going to be in Corvallis. It's going to be a little nippy. 
Um, and I'm going to go with the over as well. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game, but I think Oregon State's going to be able to run the football. Where you at, Ralph? I'm with John, and the reason being, everyone says that ASU can't win in Corvallis, but they're a two-point conversion from nine players on this current team, having done it three times. Ooh. There are nine players on the current team that have won twice in Corvallis, and wow. they're a two-point conversion away from having three players on this team. Hey, so they definitely can we win. are going to see that in the in the Pac-12 hotline, buddy. We're going to see that one, that little factoid. Um, all right, the uh, final game up. The most important game in the conference this week, Oregon at Utah. Utah is favored by three points. It's in Rice-Eccles, over under 59. Where are you at, John? 59. I'm going under. I like the Ducks to win outright. Uh, Anytime I can get Oregon with points, I'm going to take it. I think they play to the level of the competition, and they will play well, and they will run the ball on Utah's defense. So I'll take the Ducks in the under. Boom. John knows what he's doing. It's why he writes the Bible. Um, (laughs) um, Ralph, where you at? I'm on Team Chaos, George. I apologize, but I'm going with the Utes. I can't get that final drive against Arizona out of my head. Whoop. Well, it sucks to be you, Ralph. You're going to be a loser. Um, Well, and uh, on that note, because Ralph has clearly lost his mind, that is the end of the Pac-12 Apostles today because uh, we have to take Ralph to the doctor and drug test him at this point. Um, You guys, I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amson, and he's John Wilner. Go read. Obviously, the uh, the uh, Pac-12 hotline newsletter. Go read about the Pac-12 on the unafraidshow.com. Peace out. Catch you guys next week. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.